of you, I'm sure, are familiar with uh, Tim Marshall. He's an engineer and meteorologist. He's a, he's actually was in the weather he's in the weather hall of fame, uh, which is is well deserved and crazy. But first, Tim, uh, just welcome to the telethon. Thanks for giving your time today. Thank you for having me. Welcome, so, Tim. Yeah, we're yeah. so yeah. So it's it's you know one of the big reasons if you're not familiar with with Tim Marshall. Uh, he's been a storm chaser um, for at least a decade. I is probably safe to say, right, Tim? Uh, but he's been chasing for a long time. But one of his specialties is is been to follow up, and he and he contracts with the National Weather Service to really uh, check out a lot of these disasters and and post follow up of tornadoes uh, to help measure the wind speeds and help determine the EF scales. Uh, and, and various other things. So the point is, is Tim has seen uh, certainly well over his share of disasters in Tim. So bef before we get into a whole lot, I guess that's really the focus here. And what I wanted to ask you, what have been some of the most memorable of all of them that you've witnessed? What have been some of the most memorable that you've reported to and come across and that that really took your breath away? There's many that have taken my breath away, many disasters. Uh, I've, you know, it's, how do you pick a disaster out of all you've looked at? It's like picking your favorite child. Can't do that. You know, it's like there's each one of them is unique. Some are more severe than others uh, in terms of intensity. Others are more severe in terms of area. But, you know, the most intense tornadoes I've seen uh, certainly have been Gerald, Texas, which is the top end five, uh, and Bridge Creek, Oklahoma, another top end five. You know, so those are some of the more severe ones. And then just, just below that is like Joplin and Greensburg. So Greensburg was the first EF5 uh, tornado. I looked at that. So there's been a lot of very extreme tornadoes I've seen. What 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 was most memorable, I guess, was there something that maybe you saw that it was the first time you had seen something like that and went, oh, my gosh, or, you know, what what were those things that really triggered the the your breath being taken away? Well, both Gerald and Bridge Creek scoured the ground, denuding vegetation from the ground. So that's an indication of intense winds at the ground. Gerald stripped uh, pavement, uh, so the blacktop pavement off a road, and so did one of the tornadoes in 2011. And so that's another indication. Gerald also ground up things, or you couldn't find a board more than about four or five feet because it was just ground up. Uh, and the people were ground up uh, that were in, in the path. The trees were nubbed at the bottom. Uh, is not just merely breaking a tree off. These were actually nub trees, solid oak trees that were had no branches on them. They were just uh, sticks, basically eight to ten feet above the ground. So very intense, slow-moving tornado. Gerald, Texas was. Tim, I feel like you've seen so much um, when it comes to disasters. And I know you are, you go on site um, to just understand and measure the EF scale, but you also storm chase on your own. So 
how many storm chases have you been on this year? And what was the most impressive tornado that you saw? Uh, each year, you know, I, I have many hats I wear, right? So <laughs> I, I have my engineering helmet and then I have my storm spotter cap I put on. Uh, so yeah. I have many hats I put on. Yeah. So, you know, my, my job is to go out and evaluate damage to specific buildings. And then my hobby is to go out and chase tornadoes and hurricanes at close range. So my whole life is a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. No. Yeah. I... Organized disaster, maybe? I don't know. Organized. So, yeah, I've gone out uh, maybe 12, 15 times this year. I saw about five or six tornadoes this year. Uh, on the big tornado days, I missed because I was out surveying damage <laughs> from uh, mm. the tornadoes. I've surveyed three tornado tracks this year uh, so far. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Kimball, Nebraska was nice because – that tornado was out in the open field. It was very picturesque, photogenic. There were some lightning bolts coming through the tornado, which was really odd. Wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it was uh, it was nice uh, to see the Kimball, Nebraska tornado uh, the, earlier this year. And so I have to tell everyone, if you haven't been to the National Storm Chaser Summit, you need to go because Tim Marshall puts on a show. His presentation was- Does he pack the stands? Oh, it was absolutely <laughs> epic. Like one of my favorite, and I go to a lot of conferences. I, I've seen so many speakers and he brings it. And like, I so want to ask you, Tim, what your presentation is going to be like, because uh, I know I'm sure you're probably preparing. I won't do that. We'll leave it maybe a surprise unless you do want to give a sneak peek. Well, Jen, you're familiar with the teaser, aren't you? I am. So, yeah. <laughs> so I will tease you. Yeah, okay. I, I will I will not be myself. I mean it was I will simply not be who you see I am. <laughs> I will put it that way. Uh certainly it's gonna be fun uh and unusual uh mm -hmm. for for sure. Uh but uh yeah, there's simply gonna be something to see. I try to outdo myself <laughs> every year. As you know, this all started with uh oh back in the, around 2000, where Tim Samaras and Roger Hill were uh, uh, put on this chaser con, which is in Denver. Mm -hmm. And every talk was an hour of photographs and soundings and cape. It was boring. <laughs> I'm like, so, ah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I said, can we spice this up a bit? And I go, what do you have in mind? I said, well, if, if I could be like a character you know, and come in and spice it up. Is that something that you guys uh, would be acceptable? And I, you know, uh, let's see how it goes. So the first year I was uh, Clint Eastwood in the good, the bad, and the ugly. Ah, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, the storm chasing uh, was good, bad, and ugly that year. So so I came in the <laughs> serape and my pillbox hat and my little... <laughs> stogie cigar and uh and so it was such a hit that they said could you do this every year <laughs> so for the next 25 years i've been doing that nice. uh, every year i've been a character of sorts what what's uh, been your favorite you know i i i think what went over very well i, I got a standing ovation for was uh a shark i was a shark. <gasps> yeah 
I, I came in, you know, they played the theme from Jaws. And, oh, you know, my God. Yeah. In, and I kept on biting everybody, you know, and, and <laughs> as I came up there. So it was like that. Yeah. it's a, It was kind of a hybrid costume. I bought a shark costume online, but it wasn't uh, wasn't good at all. So I had it uh, overhauled to make it really more realistic looking uh, with big teeth in it. And uh, yeah, so it went over really well. Oh my gosh, people didn't do that, that in top. school. <laughs> Instead of having the boring stuff you get uh, from professors all the time, that would yeah, be fun. I, I found that if you can make uh, you can make education more palatable to people if you have some entertainment in there Agreed. And, and kind of merge the two together. Education uh, it, it can be be more palatable if you. If you merge in the knowledge with fun. I love that, Tim. I have a question. What are your three biggest tips or top tips when it comes to someone that wants to storm spot or storm chase? Well, the first thing is to read all you can. I mean, we have the internet today, okay? <laughs> Didn't have that when I was growing up. You can read so many things, especially uh, online. There's a uh, Warning Decision Training Branch has got some beautiful modules to listen to. Uh, the SPC, Storm Prediction Center, has got modules, learning modules by Rick Thompson uh, and Dr. Cohen. So I would say definitely look at all that. If you don't understand it, do some research. I mean, learn about weather forecasting, learn about soundings, CAPE, learn about photographs. You know, and, and you'll pick this stuff up pretty quickly. I mean, you don't have to be a, a degreed meteorologist to, to learn this. Most of the, the the great chasers out there are not meteorologists. They are picked it up. They're passionate about it and, and learn all you can. And then the second thing is to go with somebody that knows storm chasing. I mean, most storm chasers are, are good about that and they'll, they'll take someone along. Uh, there, or if you can't find that, then join one of these tornado tours. Uh, that's uh, that's another place to go. The National Weather Service has storm spotter training every year. Sign up for that. Go to that. Uh, here in the Dallas area, they have two uh, levels. They have a beginning storm spotter and they have advanced storm spotter. So learn all you can about that. It's very important to to just fill your mind with all the good stuff. And go out with somebody who's experienced before you try it on your own. Yeah. I, I agree with that. I got, I have one question, Tim, because over I've been a meteorologist for a long time. I've looked at video forever. And you go out and look at these damage areas. And to this day, the thing that blows my mind that I still have a hard time wrapping my mind around is when, and maybe you've seen one, but like when a tornado might hit a house, one completely, part of the house is completely gone. And then you look over and then there's still glasses on the shelf. There's still dishes. There's still things that are hanging up on the wall. Like, the, like it's amazing to me. Have you seen anything like that where it's like almost half completely blown away and then partially still there? I see it all the time. Uh, wind wants to get into a building and when it gets in, then it wants to get out. So if it blows in a window, then it's going to either blow out the back window or blow the roof off. And once that pressure is alleviated, that wind pressure, not barometric, wind pressure, 
once that wind pressure is alleviated, then that's it. It goes on down the road. So you can see glasses on a table still. You can see, you know, uh, refrigerator magnets still on your refrigerator. They haven't moved at all. You know, a very unusual things you'll see, but that's just typically how wind works. And Tim, I've got a question. When it comes to, um, you know, developing new homes, new buildings, are you seeing that um, people are taking the proper precautions and, you know, newer buildings and homes are being built in a way that can sustain against winds that are EF3 to EF5 strength? Well, unfortunately, buildings are not being built to EF3 to EF5 strength. Uh, the building codes are minimal. And minimal means minimal. <laughs> so we're talking about a 90 mile an hour, three second gust or a 115 ultimate. That's what they're built for. So they're not built for EF3, EF5. Uh, and so you're going to generate a lot of debris when tornadoes come into to there. So you need to protect yourself from all that. And that means to get into the middle of your house, lowest floor, bathroom is preferred, closet, whenever you can put as many walls between you and the outside as possible. Bathroom's good because you have additional plumbing and the walls are anchored it down. So uh, try to put as many defenses between you and the outside. Uh, certainly you don't want big rooms. Uh, you, you don't, if you're in a school, you don't want to go to an auditorium or gym. You want to be in a small place, restroom, you know, be out of anything that has glass, uh, you know, like some of my old classrooms used to have this an entire wall of glass uh, there. So you don't want to deal with that. So uh, certainly uh, protecting yourself is the key. And, I, you know, I think it's a great idea is is to have a, a helmet and some uh, shoes around that you can get on quickly. I mean, one of the big problems I see people don't, you know, they walk like me around uh, near barefoot or whatever in the house. And it's like, if tornado hits and there's all this glass around, it reminds me of the uh, Bruce Willis in the Nakatomi Plaza there. Yep. <laughs> ah, yeah, exactly. The Good reference. How am I going to walk in that? You know, and it's like, uh, so, yeah, Bruce, you should have kept your shoes on. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that and a that's a good idea. point. Yep, good point. Dina, did you do you have a question or no, but I it was funny because when he said the shoes, like even when we're in tornado warnings, I do I am lucky enough to have a basement and I do make people bring their shoe like my family bring their shoes down. Or you know, you've got that junk box of old shoes that nobody really wants to wear, but they're wearable. Just leave them in the basement. Cause I have seen so much video over the years, and I do remember one that always stuck out. I think it was Joplin, and this mm -hmm. man was outside and he's walking through the rubble he had no shoes he was in his pajamas and he was holding his dog and i thought wow like literally the shirt on your back and that's it no shoes no nothing so it's scary it's a good point so tim i appreciate your time and and sharing your time with all of us today and um as we try to really support the red cross and disaster relief which as i mentioned at the beginning you, you've you've seen your share of that um, how can people follow you in this day and age without having a VHS player or, <laughs> or, or beta, whatever we were talking about earlier? Uh, what, what's the best way people can get in touch with you or follow you? Well, I'm only on one social media platform. It's Facebook. That's it. You know, I don't go on, I don't tweet. I don't, you know, Instagram. I don't do any of that. 
I don't, don't do any TikTok or anything like that. I'm just a, a, a an old-fashioned Facebook guy. So that's about about way you can follow me on there. Very good. Well, I'll tell you what, we are, I want everybody to know we're now over $2,000 in donations at 2,135. Nice. So thank you everybody that we've been uh, announcing here as the donations come in, but we're on our way to 3,000 and we want to try and hit 3,000 here before uh, the end of this hour. So every little bit counts. And, and I think that's, what's always important to share is it's, it's the, the $5 here and the couple bucks there that that also add up don't feel like you have to give 100 or 200 certainly if you've got the means to do that and and help those that maybe you're having a great thanksgiving this year but you want to help those that that need that kind of support uh, you can do that but every little bit counts so keep those donations up uh, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with uh, jen walton the founder of girls who chase Ooh. water was rushing into my home. My first concern was making sure my family was safe. I received a text message. Red Cross was giving assistance in our area. They gave us immediate support. They gave us financial resources. We were able to make sure that we had some food, we had some things that could hold us until we were able to get back in our home. How you doing? Come in. Doing good. Welcome in. When the Red Cross offered financial assistance, it really gave us hope. With the money that they gave, we were able to use that money toward repairs. And we had to pull the carpet up. This whole top area collapsed uh, from water, and the walls, water was coming from the walls somehow. The fact that Red Cross was there willing to give a, a helping hand to make sure that our needs were met, that really, you know, was very inspiring. If I could talk to the donors of the Red Cross, I would tell them to continue giving because the Red Cross, they're good stewards of what's given to them. And the fact that Red Cross was there to assist us when our area was hurt really gave us hope. Welcome back to the Weather Pods Disaster Relief Telethon. Uh, things keep rolling here, so I, I hope you keep us on your TV, keep us on your monitor, your your iPhone, your Android phone, whatever it is. Keep us on all day. We're going till 10 p.m. Eastern tonight, uh, and the great guests keep rolling in. I'm, I'm happy to introduce Jen Walton, who's the founder of Girls Who Chase and a storm chaser herself. Uh, Jen, welcome to the telethon. Welcome, Thanks, Jen. Great to be here. Thank you so much for doing this important work. Yeah, so I, you know, I, I want to get one of the things I want to start with is is really get an update from you 
on girls who, and, and really there's probably a lot of people listening, I guess, that, that aren't even familiar. I say this because I'm familiar with what you guys are doing, sure. but maybe introduce a little bit of uh, girls who chase. Um, and if you would follow up with that on what you're working on right now, kind of what's coming up. Sure. Sure. Um, so girls who chase is an initiative that was formally founded in January, 2022, and the primary focus is inspiring, empowering, and equipping girls and women to chase storms, the sciences, and their passions. So there's a lot to unpack there, essentially. But what makes Girls Who Chase uh, special and I think unique in the weather space is that we're tackling not just cultural issues and kind of behavior around gender disparity in the weather space, but we're also looking at ways that we get in our own way, um, these kind of self-limiting stories, ways that we tell ourselves we're not capable of doing something that kind of follows my own journey into storm chasing. So it's kind of a dual pillar of empowerment, um, self-empowerment, and then girls and women in STEM. And a lot of that is education focused. Um, so that we started as an Instagram page <laughs> in July, 2021. Um, it has been uh, quite the journey for us all the way now to a multifaceted media platform. The focus really for the past year, which has seen unprecedented growth, I would say, and largely because the whole thing is unprecedented, um, is has been education and building out our education arm. So uh, the latest news for us is that I'm excited to announce uh, our second spring training Registration opens November 28th. Spring training is a day-long virtual, uh, basically storm chasing 101 education event um, that anyone can access that is really meant to focus on uh, the how do I get started question. So we bring in experts from a variety of different areas uh, in storm chasing. This year is going to focus very much on understanding storm structure, positioning appropriately for the type of chase. We have a safety component, and then we'll have some specialty talks as well, including a how to read radar 101 that MetEd will deliver. So um, we've got an early bird discount through December 31st. So stay tuned for all the announcements coming from us. It'll be the Tuesday after uh, Thanksgiving, essentially, when that stuff comes out. We ran a media training last month, uh, which went really well. So we're also looking at uh, getting more folks on air um, to kind of build out that diversity of the storm chasing community. And with that comes a need to build some skills for folks to feel more comfortable uh, doing public speaking work. So that was one of the first kind of communication specific trainings that we've run. Uh, we'll probably continue to bring those out uh, occasionally as time allows. And then um, we've got a whole bunch of new content coming. We're actually revving the podcast back up now that Jen has uh, gotten through her burnout <laughs> <from laughs> running things the last year and a half. Um, so first big podcast episode, um, probably coming in the next week and a half or so featuring Karen Kasiba. So excited to have her with us. Um, and we also just ran a, a really cool photo art competition where um, the winning photo uh, essentially is going to now be painted or was just painted by a storm artist named Jay Begum, who's who's known for 
just these amazing storm prints. So he just finished mm -hmm. painting and we're about to put that one up for auction. In fact. Wow. I see um, be beautiful behind him. You have say that one more time. Oh, Phil, we can't hear you. Oh, Phil's got his Jay painting. Yeah, yeah. I've got, I, awesome. I've got a print from Jay. Yeah, oh, I, I love it. it. I love what he does. He's I mean, amazing. He yeah, I've got one. one in my office too. <laughs> Oh my so, gosh. Um, we love Jay. Um, Jay's been very supportive of Girls Who Chase. And so we're auctioning this painting off, which just happened to coincidentally essentially be Girls Who Chase colors, which is really <laughs> nice. cool. Nice. Um, and 50% of the proceeds are going to go to Girls Who Chase and, and our operating costs. So very appreciative of Jay for helping us run this competition. It was really more about the artistic side of the storm photos so any any type of photo cell phone etc was accepted um and it's just been kind of a fun way to have people share some of their art um and so that's kind of what we've got going on actively there's one more big announcement um that hopefully we'll be making in the next couple of months that i can't say anything oh, about yet, so you just drop the little bread well, yeah yep. what is that that was a big tease, <laughs> Jen. That was a big tease. A little tease a let me just tease. say that you know most of the things that have come along for us have not been small so um this one probably won't be either so that's pretty exciting <laughs> oh jen i'm so happy for you like that's jen is just overall if you don't know jen personally she's just an incredible human being in general and you've been you know the founder and creator of something so powerful and inclusive especially when it comes to women and girls in the science field. And I know that, and Dina knows that, you know, in the meteorological field, I mean, there it's hard for women to get up there. There's not nearly as many women as there are males. So I just, everything you're doing is so powerful and so incredible. And I think you should always yeah. know that. And mm -hmm. I'm excited to know you. And for those that didn't sign up this year and didn't go to the one day training, I was a part of it. And it was so incredible. It was, you learn so much. Um, I, I was on a panel and it was just so much fun. So if you, you, you want to learn more, you're going to be like, have a notebook jam packed full of notes and everything. And you're going to learn so much from that. So, so definitely do that. Um, and Jen, I love the update too, of everything that's going on with you, but I would love to know, cause I know you, you chase, um, do you like to chase more on your own? Do you like to chase with other people and what have been some of your biggest, you know, most beautiful storms that you've seen this year? I tend to chase on my own. Um, sometimes just because it's logistically easier <laughs> I don't <laughs> have to get all those team. other people together yeah yeah exactly <laughs> right um and my chase friends are really locationally scattered across the country from east coast to west coast so if we happen to find everyone in the same place we pull folks together I did go on a couple chasecation trips with folks this year which was fun um and then there were a couple ad hoc chases with other folks more locally um I think there were probably two particularly memorable chases for me this year. And that's in part because also in the last year, I have expanded beyond storm chasing to volcano chasing and Aurora as well. I think oh, Aurora nice. has become a really nice way for storm chasers to reduce our storm deprivation syndrome. <laughs> <during the laughs> it um, is on my bucket list. 
it's, it is on yeah, it's been fantastic. Well, and we're approaching the solar maximum. So we keep having mm -hmm. opportunities and some of them are big enough that they, you know, you can see them all the way into Colorado and even farther south. So having that opportunity has been amazing. But um, I think my my most memorable storm moment this year was being having the opportunity to be in Monument Valley, Arizona. And uh, we were waiting. Uh, we were there for bolts, essentially. And what we got instead was a structured supercell that was sitting right behind some of the monuments. So wow. um, that was kind of one of those moments where you realize that you're witnessing something that most just never get to see. Um, so that was probably my most memorable storm moment. And then I had the opportunity to chase uh, the cyclic uh, tornadic supercell out of Chugwater, Wyoming. Um, that gave me a couple of bucket list shots mm -hmm. and luckily did very minor damage um, during its lifetime. There was like some outbuildings that were impacted and a few things overturned, but for the most part um, was just kind of a, a friendly chase <laughs> um, with it's, some great photographic. The, everything you guys are, everything you're doing is exciting. And I, I mean, I've been doing this for 26 years and I'm aging myself, but I mean, think about I remember when I started, there were not a lot of women unless they were TV and that's all it seemed people wanted. They weren't out in the field. They weren't doing this. And now it's like the difference I see of empowering women, like people are tagging each other. Like I met people on our last chase with the Stormfront Freaks, you know, we were tagging girls who chase and we would see each other in the, like some parking lot. We're like, Hey. <laughs> and all of a sudden it's like, you know, these people that even though you just met them and then you carry on a conversation and that's a bigger conversation that leads to more. And it's, for me, it's so cool because I see women getting stronger and more, I'm not sure of the word independent, but stronger in their own sense that they can go out and do whatever they want. You know, I, I know when I first started, like you almost even got kind of pushed away from other women mm -hmm. and now it's mm. like we're all it just seems like the, there's been such a change um and i think that the, the girls who chase has just really helped that so it, bravo thank you it it the feedback i've gotten consistently is that it's given folks a home almost and it isn't just storm chasers, in fact. Um, and one of the things I forgot to mention is that we're going to be very active in uh, the American Meteorological Society's 2024 annual meeting. So oh, nice. that is going That's to, awesome. we have two, I'll be speaking in two sessions. Um, and then we are co-hosting an event with the Earth Science Women's Network, one of the evenings at AMS. And I, I it's been interesting because I, I think it's, it's not that there were were not women storm chasing. It's not that they haven't been out there for as long as folks have been storm chasing. It's just that for one reason or another, and that's part of what we've been digging into, nobody has seen them. And in many cases, they haven't seen each other. And mm -hmm. so some of uh, this going through this process and figuring out how we can best serve in this community has been realizing that actually just being present in order to build community and give create a space where folks feel like they belong has actually been an important part of that role. And I, it's figuring this out as you go along, right? It's not like I knew all of this when I started the Instagram page, but then hearing from folks that that was 
what what was happening for them is an amazing feeling knowing that we're helping to build that space and and helping people feel safe in the weather space and welcome and you really are jen like it, it's just incredible what you've grown in such a short amount of time and i would love for you to you know share with everyone i do know your your personal story a little bit but how did you get started chasing and when did that happen? And just share your journey with us a little bit. I'll make it quick. Cause I know, I know y'all are, <laughs> um, you take was, as much time as you want. <laughs> I mean, I could, I could probably talk all day. That's how I roll. But, um, I, it was one of those, like I was into severe weather. I was a lifer for the most part. I went from sheer terror, um, in my very young days to watching the weather channel nonstop, even when it was just weather on the eights. <laughs> looking out the window, watching storms and then consuming, becoming an avid consumer of all of the storm chasing media I could get my hands on while simultaneously telling myself this isn't for me. And I've dug into the background and all the reasons for why that is. But one of them is that I wasn't seeing people who look like me in, in all of the reality shows and stuff that was on weather networks, et cetera. It was 98% men and the other 2% were kind of token roles, like somebody's girlfriend, daughter. <laughs> and yeah. it that has a direct impact on the culture that I found myself in when I started to storm chase, which is partially why I chase alone now is that people assume that if women are chasing with men, men are running the show and doing all of the forecasting and we're just sort of along for the ride. So um, I finally kind of took myself through a, why are you telling yourself this story process that you can't chase uh, yeah. in 2018 and went on a storm chase tour and learned just enough to re realize that I could teach myself to forecast and get out there. And that was really what created the monster <laughs> that now exists. Um, and it, it, the whole story of Girls Who Chase follows that recognition that I was self-limiting and, um, you know, overcoming those stories to go do the thing that brings me the most joy. And now it's, it's been an evolution of what kind of storm chaser am I, which I, I don't know that nobody warns you about that part. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like every storm is great. And now it's kind of like, well, I'm, I'm out for these particular reasons. Here's a new goal. Here's a new goal, you know? And then once you fly over a volcano, your goals change again. Um, like you get, I, I found myself um, becoming a snob in a way that I have not appreciated. <laughs> you know, like sometimes you just have to catch up with yourself. Um, so making sure that I'm I'm chasing the things that bring me joy and or contributing in a way that's useful from a reporting perspective. Well, Jen, we we definitely appreciate your time and and coming on and filling us in a little bit on uh, girls who chase. Uh, it, I guess suggestion to anybody listening that wants to learn more, where where do you want to direct them? Yeah, for sure. Uh, our website is the home for all of the work that we're doing. That's girlswhochase.com. We're very active right now on Instagram and Twitter, both under the handles Girls Who Chase. And then when spring training goes live, the link for that'll be girlswhochase.com slash spring training. <laughs> so all, hopefully very easy to remember. <laughs> I hope so. If I can't remember that, then I'm in trouble. <laughs> very good. Well, hey, uh, shout out quick to Theo Train donated $25 as well. So Thanks, Theo, Theo, thank you. 
thing. Thank you for that. Uh, we're going to head to break, but we're coming right back with Hurricane Chaser Josh Morgerman. So we got more coming up. Stay tuned. Thanks, y'all. That land has been in our family for over 100 years. And it's a rural community that's not within the city limits. Because the tornado approached from the south, that area was the first place hit and it destroyed every house. My dad met my mother when she was pregnant with me. He had an option. He could stay with a woman that was pregnant with a child that wasn't his, or he could be my dad. And one day he showed up in the hospital when my mother gave birth with my first pair of shoes. <laughs> he, that was him, and since then, he's been with me, taught me everything I knew. He um, worked on a farm his entire life. When I was 13 years old, he took me to the cotton fields and made me stop chopping cotton. <laughs> and I did that. <laughs> just to think that um, a tornado just destroyed everything that he had, absolutely everything. He's nearly blind. He's a double amputee, has prosthetics on right now, a kidney transplant recipient. And the night of the storm, I found him at three o'clock in the morning in the dark. For us, the Red Cross showing up in our community makes me feel like we're being seen. Today, I sat in front of a person with a Red Cross jacket on that said, okay, tell me about the medical equipment that was lost because you're a double amputee. Tell me about your your medication that you didn't have access to for four days because you're a, a kidney transplant recipient. Tell me about your prosthetics. Do you have an extra pair of prosthetics? You know what, we're gonna get you the resources you need. Someone with a Red Cross jacket on literally came to the area where my parents used to live and actually paid attention and felt that pain and stood in that moment with my parents. That's, that's what the Red Cross means to me right now. And it, it makes me emotional because a lot of times we do get forgotten because we grew up in a poor situation and a lot of my family lives in poverty. We feel like people don't pay attention to us. Resources flow in, but you're not, you're not important enough. But the Red Cross came in and said, yes, you are important. They've proved it. They sat down and they filled out the application for financial assistance for my parents. They filled out the application for housing assistance, for medical assistance. All of those things, those little things, those are tangible things that make a difference. Because you don't know what you got until it's gone. Especially, especially when you don't have much in the first place. You don't know what you got until you almost lose it. <laughs> and so when some uh, organization like the Red Cross comes in and said, I'm gonna help you. It means something. All right, so we keep rolling on the Weather Pods Disaster Relief Telethon. Uh, again, my name is Phil with Stormfront Freaks. We got Dina and Jen, our co-hosts, with us as well. But uh, we're happy to bring in this uh, this next segment. We've got Josh Morgerman, Hurricane Chaser, uh, joining us. And and 
First off, just uh, welcome, Josh. Welcome to the telethon. Thanks for your time. Yeah, welcome, awesome Josh. Here. I love this excuse to reunite with you guys. I uh, I always enjoy our live riffing. So one of the things I want to do is is a lot of our guests we've had on here recently, Josh, are, um, are chasers that have been in the disasters, right? And so definitely have stories to tell and have memories to share. And you're certainly no different. You have been through some uh, incredible and horrific, depending on what side of that uh, equation you happen to be on, storms and tro uh, tropical storms and hurricanes. I I'm curious what have been some of the most memorable uh, disasters that you've seen and, and I guess what made it so memorable for you? Great question. You know, I've been in a lot of really bad hurricanes and typhoons, and I would say, um, I would say the two for me that top the list um, are were outside of the United States. Uh, one was Super Typhoon Haiyan in the Philippines, oh and actually the ten-year anniversary just happened. I just actually got back from from the anniversary events, but it was an equivalent Category Five hurricane, actually high-end Category Five, estimated winds of 190 miles an hour. The inner core of it, the eyewall passed right over a city of about 220,000 people called Tacloban City, which is also on the tip of a peninsula and very low lying. And uh, the um, the city just got obliterated. Uh, the official death toll was 6,000, but they think it was probably closer to 15 to 25,000. Oh, that's awful. Even when you talk to government officials off the record, they say there's no way it was only 6,000. So I was there for that. Um, at the height of the storm, jumped in the water to pull people out because our hotel went underwater. Um, but that one, the the level of destruction that I saw, just um, whole sections of the city just just obliterated. I couldn't even find the streets. Just dead bodies everywhere. Um, a complete breakdown of civil order. I would say that was way up there. And then the other one would be a Hurricane Dorian in the Bahamas. I was in Marsh Harbor, a town of about 5,000 people. Again, a strongest landfalling hurricane on record in North America, tied with the 1935 Labor Day hurricane. The eye passed right over the town, estimated winds of 185 miles an hour. Again, unbelievable destruction. I was trapped there for days, just living on the island in my car, which did not blow away. The one next to mine blew away, mine didn't. But again, there was that complete, the destruction you see with a complete breakdown of civil order, which was oh. what happened. You had those kinds of big impacts. And when you look at the mess, I'll just conclude by saying, after these disasters, and I felt a little bit after Michael in Panama City, you just look around and you think, where do you even start cleaning up? Yeah. And I have a, a question, Josh, going um, back to the fact that you went back for the 10 year anniversary of that typhoon. What was it like going back with the structures and rebuilding? Because I know you you see the disaster when it happens and then you oftentimes revisit a lot of these places after the fact because they get hit often by hurricanes and typhoons. So what was it like, you know, going back there and the rebuilding and just the sentiment of, of the community? It was a really, for me personally, it was like a healing experience. You know, I don't get too like emotional generally. Like I'm kind of like, I'm all about the hurricane and I just, I go in and I I kind of like, I kind of almost tune out the human impact. And Haiyan was one of those storms where, where I was absolutely rattled by the human impact, just stuff that I saw, just the level of destruction, the dead bodies, just seeing like you know, injured children and stuff like that. I also had rescued a lot of people at the height of the storm. So there were victims that I carried out of the water. So oh. all of it just stuck with me. So 
so when I got back after that one, I was like, I was kind of, I don't know what I, I, I was having issues <laughs> with it afterward. Um, so going back was, was, it was helpful to them because I was, I was keeping the story alive and I was doing work in like fundraising and stuff like that. But it was also helpful for me because I could start to see the recovery. I went back three months after, and even then you started, to see, I mean, it was still really bad, but you're starting to see some signs of healing. And I went back a year after, which was much better. And then I just went back for the tenure and the tenure was great. And what the folks there told me was that at the tenures, every anniversary they'd been, it had been sort of a, sort of like a day of mourning. And this year they decided it was going to be a day of celebration because of how, how far the city had come in 10 years with the rebuilding. Um, there's a neighborhood right down the street from the hotel that was completely obliterated, just gone. And now there's like, there's, you know, new houses there and stuff. And that was, that was really cool. And just seeing stuff like that, you know, it's like you're ending the story on a good note. I did see a lot of your posts on X, you know, where they, they gave you even signs that said, welcome back. That had to be really, I mean, it was heartwarming to me and it wasn't even me. <laughs> <laughs> It, it was, you know, they, the, the locals were, were so appreciative that we had rescued people and stuff and they, they haven't forgotten. And when, when we come back there, yeah, they put up these welcome signs. It's, it's incredible how they treat us. Um, this is this part of the Philippines. This is, it's way far from Metro Manila. It's in an area called the Eastern Visayas. This is where um, Imelda Marcos, who was the wife of the, um, the, the leader of, of the Philippines for much of the 60s, 70s and 80s, Imelda Marcos was the wife of Ferdinand Marcos. She's from there. So she's a very important person in like Philippine history. She was there for the one year anniversary and we were her honored guests wow. for dinner, which was like, yeah, which was really like kind of blew me away, but that's how nicely they treat us in this city, Tacloban city, by the way. So we, um, we get special treatment, which we, you know, which is really nice. And, uh, you know, and we get to really participate. Like there were a lot of ceremonies and events and things. And we were just, uh, Mark, James and I, my, the, the guys I chased with, you know, we went to all the events and stuff and it was just, it was just like great to like participate in it, you know, to really feel like we're participating in the recovery, which is ongoing. Yeah. And I, I'm so glad you got the chance to go back, Josh, because I can only imagine the feelings and just everything you experienced, you know, it's almost kind of coming full circle. And the fact that they, this year was a celebration is, you know, the positive outlook and hopefully they never have to deal with any kind of natural disaster like that ever again. Um, yeah. And I would love to kind of turn it to this year, Josh and chasing and everything. It's been an interesting year. And I would love for you to kind of just break down, you know, the different storms you chased and the weather pattern and everything going on there. It was an interesting year, just like, like there's something about this year that just in terms of the Atlantic, it was just, wow, hard to get a feel for it. You know, it was these dead periods and then these just crazy bursts of activity and then dead periods. There was just like no rhythm to it. Um, I think for a lot of folks, folks who are like kind of maybe, um, you know, they started following hurricanes in the last decade. And I'm talking about maybe like sort of younger weather enthusiasts or younger chasers, like people in the early 20s. They grew up in the, you know, they started following weather, let's say in the mid-teens or in the last decade, and they're used to the U.S. getting just slammed by category four and five hurricanes every year, multiple hurricanes, lots of majors. Okay, so then this year seems kind of like, whoa, what happened? There was you know, only one hurricane hit the U.S. That's like kind of weird. Okay, this year was actually the normal year. This was actually this. Now we're getting back to how normal climatology of like, yeah, the U.S. some years gets hurricanes, some years doesn't. 
we got one hurricane on the average the us gets like i think uh two hurricanes a year so so it's sort of like more of like an average year but it feels weird because we've had starting in 2017 the united states is just except for 2019 every year we've just gotten slammed by really bad hurricanes and i should say although this year seems not as bad we actually we did get a major hurricane hurricane idalia so it does continue the trend of a a major hurricane landfall every year since 2017 except 2019 but uh we're still in quite a streak but it definitely for americans it was a little quieter now it was really busy but everything was just kind of a lot of fish storms a lot of stuff way out in the atlantic so it seemed like we were getting a lot of activity but you know where it forms is just as important as how much forms and where it hits yeah yeah exactly exactly nothing stuff just couldn't seem to get west over to north america which of course was great news for everybody yes. We talk about that all the time. It's like you could have a, you could tell people it's a busy season. You have 20 named storms out the Atlantic and maybe nothing hits you, the U.S. They're like, oh, no, it didn't happen. Like, it did. It just wasn't hitting here. Or you get one and it hits a major metropolitan area. Exactly. And, and, yeah, and that applies to the whole globe. Like we, like the last decade has been a pretty bad one in the United States and we've been just we've been getting so many just huge historical impacts Laura Ida Ian and then so many others but what's interesting is when when you look at worldwide hurricane activity and of course they don't call them hurricanes everywhere they call them typhoons or cyclones but what we call a hurricane worldwide hurricane activity the last several years has actually been well below normal so it's been really busy in our part of the world like gulf of mexico western atlantic we've been a little hot spot of activity but worldwide when you look at like around australia and like western pacific uh, activity has actually been below normal when you look at the accumulated cyclone energy which surprises a lot of people who just they're only focused on our little part of the globe were you in otis did you go to were you no, that's a really painful topic for me. And I'm like, I, like totally not, joking, you know, no, seriously, it's, it's like, it's, it's, I'm actually, it's like, it's good to talk about it because it's therapeutic, you know, you let I it out, to, you, you know, let it out, Josh, you can, you're in a safe space. <laughs> and it's the first time I'm talking about it like publicly, but, um, I, uh, you know, it was one of those systems. I looked at it and I just, the, I, I looked at all the computer models. I looked at everything and I just was not sensing the potential and I didn't go. And then of course it did that rapid intensification. And by the time I realized what was happening, it was just, it happened so fast. It was too late to get down there. And I, it, it pains me now to think about it. You know, I, I it's not just that I live to cover these big events, but you know, Mexico, I've always considered Mexico to be like, that's my real passion. I love just Mexican hurricanes are like my thing and specifically the West coast of Mexico. Like that's like totally like my turf and I'm really an expert in that region. And to miss the biggest event in a century on that coast, it just like, I mean, it's really, Don't, let's, feel bad. let's Everybody be serious. Missed it. Everybody exactly. missed it. Yeah, exactly. And, and so I'm curious why, why do you, why do you think that was uh, Josh? Why, what, what, what happened there? Uh, and, and at what point during that, uh, process of intensification where you like, okay, this is, this is actually going to be serious. Well, I mean, most, almost no one chases on the West coast of Mexico. I'm the only one. So, so I like once in a while, someone else might go down there, but generally like no one, most chasers just don't like to go there for whatever reason. So, um, so, so I, I wouldn't expect anyone else to be down there, but I expect myself to never miss a big event down there. But it was, um, 
you know, it's 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 an indication of the the limits to our ability to forecast intensity. So there's two things. When there's a hurricane, you're 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 forecasting, you're trying to anticipate the track where it's going and the intensity, how strong it's going to be. So looks like the computer models have gotten better and better and better about forecasting track. They've gotten more and more accurate. Where they still haven't made great advances is intensity. It, it, hurricane intensity is just this weird thing. You know, sometimes they like I remember a couple years ago, Hurricane Pamela, an October storm recurving toward the coast um, of the west coast of Mexico. Everything about it, the computer models, the climatology, every everything said it was going to be a big, huge impact. It just fell apart, came ashore as barely a hurricane. Why did that happen? Who knows? And then with Otis, it was the opposite. The models were just not enthusiastic about it. Mm -hmm. Almost none of them were. I think I think one model showed. No, I think it was RI. one, maybe two. It was at one, the most. but like odd models that I don't look at generally. But the the five models that I look at, including four hurricane models, none of them, none of them showed. They it wasn't that they didn't show a category five. They like most of them didn't show a hurricane really, or they showed it barely, maybe becoming a hurricane. So. It was one of the starkest examples of how sometimes the models just don't get it. But, you know, with Michael, that kind of happened too. not not as crazily. But with Michael, when when the Hurricane Center issued their first advisor on Michael, they had it coming in. The panhandle is like a 75 mile an hour mm -hmm. hurricane. Now, that was a couple of days before, so it wasn't quite as crazy. Um, another thing about Otis was how fast it went from a tropical storm to like a category five yeah. in like 18 hours. So it was an incredible example of RI. Yeah. And I, you know, I was on the fence. I almost was going to, I was like going to go down there just in case, you know, it was going to be like something decent and I didn't, and I'm just, you know, I'll kick myself forever because it was obviously, uh, you know, it was a devastating event, you know, from my point of view, as someone who's interested in meteorology, it was a fascinating event, um, you know, and I, I just, you know, and, and that there's not a lot of data from on the ground there. So I'm like, oh, like I would have collected really amazing data. Ouch. But it feels don't, good. Don't kick <laughs> yourself over it. Don't, yeah. We all got it wrong. Those models were all over the board. Yeah, it was. yeah they it were. Was. I think one thing I'll say is I think that this is part of the chaser experience. I think every everyone who chases professionally or, or, or just everyone who's passionate about it, I think everyone has that event that they that big event that they missed for whatever reason. And, 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 you know, it's like, it's like chaser FOMO or whatever, you know, if you're missing out, I, you know, I think we all have that. I think this is, this was my category five miss. <laughs> so. Well, I'll tell you what, Hey, before we go to break, Josh, uh, again, thanks for uh, being a part of this and helping to support uh, the American Red Cross. What, wh where can people uh, find your, your videos and your stuff and, and check you out? Uh, if, yeah, thanks for asking. Uh, you can follow me on X, formerly Twitter, on Facebook and on YouTube, uh, just under the, the name iCyclone. So the letter I and the word cyclone, iCyclone. That's kind of like my brand name. And I also have a TV series, Mission Hurricane, which is on various streaming platforms. Thank you for tuning in to the Stormfront Freaks podcast. You can watch our bi-weekly show live on youtube.com slash stormfrontfreaks and download the audio version on your favorite podcast player. 
For links to our Patreon team of exclusive benefits, show notes, past shows, new videos, merchandise, and more, visit our website at stormfrontfreaks.com. While you're there, check out our interactive chaser radar from our friends at zoomradar.com. If you'd like to contact us with questions or make comments about the show, shoot us an email to questions at stormfrontfreaks.com or follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok. Search for Stormfront Freaks. We'd love to hear from you. Join us next time and tell a friend about the Stormfront Freaks podcast.